it's so good, right? Watching the world unfold just as we fucking predicted, right? Oh my. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, I've said plenty of times, right, that one of our fucking slogans ought to be, we fucking told you, Jack of all grades, <laughs> you should have fucking seen it coming because we did. Um, <laughs> True. Do you, if I if I if I talk to you about the lost tapes of the Twenty Seven Club, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I'm kind of, I know about the Twenty Seven Club. I think yes. this is, so. This was like various musicians over time who have all died at the age of twenty seven, right? Yes, indeed. Um, so uh, to name some names, uh, Amy Winehouse, Jim Morrison, yeah, Kurt uh, Cobain was one. Kurt right? Cobain was one. Hendrix was another. Yeah. Um, so get your fucking self ready for this, uh, this week. And I have, I have my good friend, my very good friend, Richard Stott to thank for this. I, uh, I don't think he even listens. So thanks, Stotty. Um, <laughs> maybe you can get him to listen to this part. Yeah, maybe. Um, there's a, there's a mental health organization called Over the Bridge. Okay. Uh, they are all about publicising, raising awareness, offering support for uh, issues of mental health uh, and, and, and mental illness within the musical community. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, there are some shocking statistics when it comes to uh, mental illness and suicide rates among those in the music business. Mm. Uh, all of which, you know, their their website uh, uh, over the bridge lays out very, very clearly. It's it's a real eye opener, and I urge you to to take a look at over the bridge uh, and 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 see some of the work they're doing. Um, I'll, we'll post the link on Twitter under this episode. Yeah. But what they've done, Corrigan, right? They've used fucking AI. Oh no! Right? They've oh, no. used machine learning. They've used fucking artificial intelligence to generate brand new music, right? From okay. Hendrix, no. Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. So, so like... Yeah, mate. Is this Deep like how fake they do the thing? fucking dead people's music. Is this like how they do the thing where it's like, oh, they can mathematically create the perfect yep. pop song or yep. whatever? The Okay, so they trained uh, uh, AI on certain loops, certain hooks, certain choruses, certain refrains from music from each of those four artists. Mm -hmm. And the resultant, um, you know, quote unquote, new music that that generated was then taken over by a producer, stitched them together, and you've got brand new tracks from from members of the 27 Club to publicize and to, uh, you know... The way they put it is, it's a look at what we may have, you know, what we've lost from these artists. It's a look at what could have been from these artists. But it's machine learning to generate new music from dead performers. Have you listened to any of it? Can we fucking, listen to it? Is that absolutely. The Winehouse track is fucking, it's wild. It, it's, it's a new track by Amy Winehouse. Um, even the Nirvana track, right? And I'm a massive Nirvana fan, as you know. Yeah. Um, the, the, the lyrics, you know, the, the, there's no... Uh, words as such. It's just clearly, plainly Kurt Cobain's voice, just kind of vocalising <laughs> and making noises. Oh, okay. yeah. But, you know, it it has a structure, verse, chorus, verse, outro, uh, you know, bridge in the middle. Um, but the Winehouse track, it's her, it's her fucking voice singing lyrics that you could quite easily have imagined her coming out with. That is 
wild. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. Just, and, and, you know, in my head, it's it's much like Peter Cushing in Rogue One, you know? It's yeah. much like, uh, you know, Mark Hamill in, well, he's not dead. I mean, Mark, yeah. <laughs> by example, by example, rewind, rewind. Let's oh, not shit. bury Mark Hamill yet. <laughs> Imagine if he dies tonight. <laughs> Mark, stop sorry. talking. No more. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, but anyway, yes. You know, not only can yeah. we now employ digital fucking necromancy to raise dead performers facially yeah. from the grave, <laughs> we can now employ similar fuckery to create brand new music from artists no longer with us. That's so, so bananas. And, you know, when you think about it, I guess this was just, this was always going to happen because you've yep. seen them do this also. You know, people joke about it. It's become a meme on Twitter. Like, I, I fed all the works of this author of course. into an yes, AI. Yes, or, yes, you know, yes, I yes. put every Ben mm-hmm. Shapiro video into mm-hmm. an AI, and this is what it came out with. Like, yep. But that is a real thing, that people yep. have created works that yes. sound like they were written by yep. some dead author or things yep. like that. So between the stuff like... Coachella, Tupac, and you know all that. Mm, yes, and yes. This and also, I mean, I posted an article on our our Twitter um, a few weeks ago. Did you see that that William Shatner uh, is creating or has created like an AI of that himself? does that does ring a bell? Yeah, yeah. yeah and so he, uh, you know, is working with some group to create this AI Mm. where he's recorded all of, you know, he's recorded his voice. He's recorded various, you know, things of himself. Mm -hmm. But later on, instead of like, so the idea of someone creating a video of themselves is not unusual. Like I'm going to leave behind this legacy and people can see me. I plan to do it. Any documentary, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, this will be able to generate unique answers to questions that people ask William Shatner in the future once he's dead. That's incredible. Isn't that It is incredible. And it's an entirely, morally for me, an entirely different kettle of fish when the person concerned is planning and programming and developing that during their lifetimes. Now, um, you know, the, the, the guys that are over the bridge have positioned this in a very interesting way, you know? To reflect mm-hmm. on 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 uh, you know mental health and suicide in the performance industry, you know yeah. this is what we've lost. This is the potential that that, that is now no longer possible. Yeah, but still iffy. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, and look, hey, I I don't listen to our podcast as you know, right? Well, it's yeah. not it's not for me. Um, <laughs> I can see why people like it, but hey, go to it. But I'm certain that in our episode about deepfakes, we 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 absolutely spoke of how this is very quickly going to become way, way, way more widespread. Not just visually, not just mapping faces onto fucking polygon wireframes or whatever, right. but vocal performances in, you know, uh, nuance uh, and... and these tracks are, are you know, if, 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 you, if you close your eyes and try and, imag- and try and forget that these guys are dead, you could be duped. You know what I mean? It's fucked. It's, it's, it's so fucked. Uh, I hate it. 
Like, it's cool. Yes, yes. And yeah, I hate it. Like, the things that we invent, the things that people create mm -hmm. like this, it's just, it's super cool that we're able to do it, but we, like you said, have talked about how the implications of this in the long yep. term uh, can be nothing but horrifying. And Absolutely. we have had decades and decades of science fiction to tell us that that yep. was the case. And it's only going to be a matter of constantly. time. It's only going to be a matter of time before, you know, you get a fucking email through within it from an address you don't recognize. And you click a link and you are fucking staring back at yourself saying Ugh. shit you know you didn't say. I'm telling Ugh. you. Oh, that's so horrifying. <clears throat> so horrifying. I know. Uh, you know this is my thing. I don't like this not being able to trust the evidence of our eyes. Yeah. Thing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is just another, another step in that. I mean, we create a podcast, you know, if... <laughs> like for a machine to learn from us oh wow i'd love to feed the last 35 weeks of joag into some fucking ai and see what they come up with and see what it comes up with <laughs> actually that's kind of great i it's would what? be very interested to see what that would come out to let's just get this joag trope out of the way are you an ai specialist do you have access to fucking all sorts of machine learning tools could you generate us uh, a procedurally generated version of joag please because that would be cool as shit <laughs> That would be amazing. It's just yep. going to be me constantly like saying <laughs> that I contain multitudes over and over yeah. again or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> I feel it is. great about that. It's going to be <laughs> It's gonna be an hour of us just trotting out our fucking tropes, isn't it? <laughs> it's going to be that t-shirt that, that I say. It's going to be that t-shirt just on the <laughs> loop. <laughs> Horrifying. Mm. Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise-en-scene. I don't think anyone has ever said mise-en-scene in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's cold so... outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. Welcome, friends. Welcome again. Welcome. It's probably Monday where you are. It's probably, you know, you're probably thinking, ah, fuck. It's Monday again. If only there was a fucking new episode of fucking Joag that I could listen to to just distract me for one fucking hour <laughs> in this fucking life that I'm trapped in. Well, do you know what? There is. So that's great, isn't it? Uh, how's it going, Corey? <laughs> Uh, better than you apparently think it's going for the rest of our listeners. <laughs> That's for sure. Holy moly. Uh, there's some intensity behind that, but I'm doing quite well, Mark, quite well. How about yourself? Good. Delighted to hear it. Yeah, I'm good as well. Uh, we are blessed, thrice blessed today uh, to be joined by a very, very good friend of mine, Mr. Daniel Bertle, who is uh, going to be joining us and chiming in on our major topic a little bit later on. Um, the topic of fucking man-made catastrophe. And I'm going to just pin it there while we just drift off and chat about some other stuff which we've been doing this week. Um, but yeah, um, heads up ahead of time. You know, it's, it's going to get a little bit grim, I suspect. Uh, but, you know, you, you wouldn't want it any other way. And as always, timestamps are in the description. So if you want to skip mm -hmm. us shooting the shit about other things, uh, you can just go ahead and skip straight to that. 
otherwise, hey, let's uh, let's shoot the breeze, shall we? Yes, uh, we are coming <laughs> off. Oh, Dan, I, listen, do you want to say hello, by the way, Dan? Do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, go on then, mate. You can, I mean, it's up to you. Go on then. Yeah, uh, no, well, uh, so yeah, hi, I'm Dan. Uh, <laughs> there we go, simple. Nailed it, first day. <laughs> there done. we go. Beautifully done. Elegant, Boom. elegant Sharp in its sweet. simplicity. Mm, I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Um, Dan's will become clear as the cast goes on, um, but we're coming fresh off another one possibly my favorite yet i know i say this every time but they keep getting more fun uh, uh of our joag watch alongs last night was the hate watch we fucking voluntarily chose to subject ourselves to uh nicholas cage's artistic reimagining let's go with sure of the folk horror staple wicker man and it was fucking funny as fuck it was wonderful. Also, I feel like it's unfair to be pinning this on Nicolas Cage. Like, yeah, fair play, he fair made play. this film. Yeah. Nothing that is wrong with that film is because of yeah. Nicolas Cage. He yeah. is giving it 100%. He is enjoyable. Unlike our man, Sam, I love Nicolas Cage. Uh, yeah, same, same, same. <laughs> I'm going to nail that flag to the fucking mast now. Like I said uh, at the time, does he always understand the assignment but he'll often rewrite the fucking questions himself. Uh, <laughs> it became clear about a third of the way through that that film was absolute dog shit until Nicolas Cage fucking put the pedal to the fucking metal, turned it up to 11 and just transcended, just elevated the fucking thing into mm. a realm that none of us saw come in. If you've never seen Nicolas Cage in a fucking bear costume, punching a woman <laughs> for little, little to no reason, every other scene he steals a fucking bike off someone, uh, <laughs> Just if you cut out the word Rowan from that script, it would be like an eight minute long fucking movie. <laughs> I had a great laugh watching that last night and I'm so thoroughly grateful to everyone who joined us. Yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah, I have nothing really to add to that. It was great. So glad yeah. for all of you guys who came out and, and did that with us. If you have a suggestion mm. for theme for the next watch along, uh, then go ahead and hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Oh, that's a great uh, shout, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, let us know what you think would be a good theme, and then we will once again get a poll up with options. Yeah. You know, Mark's favorite activity. Polls! Get a poll up. <laughs> <laughs> fuck ah. off. Uh, <laughs> ah, fuck out of here. <laughs> but yes, we will uh, we'll do it again next month i assume we've been doing it once a month at this point so next month we'll, we'll see yes 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 love it um, uh, and that's like all that i've really watched it's been kind of a busy week i watched uh wicker man with us and the night before that watched the trauma film mother's day with uh the dead and lovely podcast uh okay. watch along their scream and chat uh i don't trauma films are not for me there i am not that's like edgelord yep. shit and i just i don't yeah. enjoy it uh it was... i often i find that the idea of trauma is often and then the fucking actuality the execution. Of, in, yeah. yeah 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 yeah. Exactly. in fact dan didn't you mention to me the other day that they're uh, uh, supposedly remaking toxic avenger is that correct is that yeah. still happening yeah 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 and it, it really shocked me. Like, oh, yeah, this will be brilliant. You know, what I, I reckon is they'll do like a Heath Ledger where they'll get somebody playing who's, you go, what? Mm. He's going to play Toxie Avenger. And actually, Peter Dinklage? Yeah. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> the most fucking... <laughs> 
Yeah, it's yeah, a casting choice. The and it really is. <laughs> a decision was made. It was, and they're following um, through on it. But I remember... yeah, I mean, this has been in the making since like 2010 or something like that. Oh. This is like a long time coming. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, making an accessible version of a trauma film. But the thing was, mm. which I found really interesting. They, they, did you know there was a cartoon series that tied into the Toxic Avengers? Yeah, they had all Toxic the toy Avengers. line, everything yep. like that. And when you think, when you yeah, go back yeah, and watch yeah. the films, you go, oh yeah, that'll have a children's mm. spin-off. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know, that was actually a thing in the 80s, wasn't it? There were loads of really fucking, uh, you know, properties for grown-ups, which... You know, had a crack at making them kid friendly. There was a fucking Robocop cartoon. Wasn't mm. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember a, a Robocop fucking one. Robocop action figures. Um, yeah, Alien, I guess I never thought example. about that because I like loved the movie Robocop as a kid. But yeah, looking back, that's not a kid's movie. So <laughs> that no. is kind of odd. I want to say the cartoon was like Robocop and the Justice Squad or something like that, maybe. <laughs> Sounds about Could right. Yeah, he's. Yeah, it does. It does. It really does. Justice Squad assemble. And there will be uh, a life lesson yes, to be learned yeah. at the end of every single episode. Mm, yeah, I'm sure. Yep. About like maybe safely crossing the road or not going off with strangers. Robocop <laughs> delivering it to camera. That'd be good. I'd watch that. I, I want the just the message of every episode to be fuck the police. <laughs> <laughs> every single episode of Robocop. A-R-A-B. <laughs> I revisited Lee Juanel's uh, Invisible Man a couple of nights ago, just simply because I saw it on the the episode guide on Sky, and I thought, "Fuck it, let's give this a crack." And it's even better the second time around. I enjoyed it, is. it first it time really around, is. Um, and second time around, it it really embedded, it really sank in more. I love the fucking use of negative space in that film. It is so creepy, so eerie, the way that it, it'll just you know hover on an empty scene or, or a scene with just one performer in there and a load of empty space behind her just so you're fucking thinking where is this motherfucker he's there isn't he mm. um mm-hmm. really gets under your skin really enjoyed it yeah genuinely scary that movie which mm. is you know rare and, and from moment one you know from the intro of that movie you, yes you're just in and terrified and it, and it never sort of lets you go the rest of the movie so i love that one <laughs> i love you one now I think so. Juano. <laughs> I don't know. I'll watch a couple interviews afterwards and determine which one of us is correct. On Are you Lee Juanel? Uh, reach out and let us know how to pronounce your name, please. Uh, also, Feels like that really H is going a little hard. No, I enjoy it. Juanel. Um, <laughs> an upgrade was badass. Let's have another upgrade, please. Sequelize that shit as soon as so you can because it's fucking great. Lots in common with Robocop, actually, in that it creates a fantastic, uh, really believable uh, world. Uh, the, the, you know, the sci-fi future is thoroughly, thoroughly plausible. I'm a, I'm a big fan of upgrades. Body horror films films. Are great. Yeah, mate. All yes. body horror films. Yes, yes, yes. Love them. Tech Venom. Brilliant stuff. <laughs> what about um, you? What have you been watching, Dan? Um, not, funnily enough, <laughs> the worst podcast to come on to to say I haven't been watching horror films recently. <laughs> Um, but I know. <laughs> Sharp intake of breath. You've just lost ten subscribers. So, um, what we have been watching is so uh, my girlfriend has uh, kind of a list. She, uh, when she was growing up, she didn't really watch too many of what we call classic films. So she's written down like oh. a huge list of like classic. Well, I what I would call I think what a lot of people would call classics. Sure. Um. So, 
stuff like uh, I mean I mean sorry they're classic but, you know Top Gun and the likes of those type of films which you could instantly call out right, yeah. you yeah, must yeah, yeah, have yeah. seen that at some point in your life. yeah just no, stuff everybody's seen, seen. Yeah, yeah, right. sure, sure, sure. so there's a huge list that we're working way through that but she's also got a lot of stuff on there that's more modern so we work through the Harry Potter series uh, never seen it so we work through that nice um, and so we just right. randomly I finally got around to Star Wars and uh, we've oh, had wow. yeah, yeah. so we've had to go from so what we did was we originally started to watch a new hope and she hated it because luke skywalker she said whiny mm. little bitch and if you actually go back and watch yeah. the first star wars he's terrible he's he awful awful person in that film you just you like then you watch the original phantom menace and you actually go yeah. you understand why you really understand why his dad was also a whiny bitch as well Anyway, it's, so a, it's a heritage thing. Watching, uh, it is, it is. It's in the Skywalker DNA to be a whiny bitch because look at Ben. So look at... turn you into a fucking wanker. <laughs> yeah, they just call it the Skywiner saga because if you <laughs> actually look back, what, uh, what Kay said was, yeah, she hated it. Uh, Miracle Order, so we watched Phantom Menace, then we watched Clone, and so on and so forth. And it, she she preferred watching it from end to end like that. So we're on to Return of uh, um, we're on to uh, Last Jedi. So oh, that's wow. coming up. But we've also started watching the Maze Runner series as well. Mm. Wow, that's really good. You're really covering so, a lot here. Um, my boys mm. had a lot of trouble with A New Hope as well, uh, and it, it, I think it was a big mistake of mine to make that their first Star Wars film, their entry point, because the, the pace is so different to what what people are used to watching now it's a very languid film it takes its time um and you know compared to the fucking you know jolly rancher fucking adhd nightmare that is modern star wars a new hope is an entirely it's an entirely different uh, kettle of fish you know what i mean it's it's it, it's yeah it's uh, of its time should we say sure i'm not a star yeah, wars and fan you know so. my <laughs> feelings about the prequels i of course quite... yeah now, I quite like the prequels. I know. <laughs> you like I know them? You. I like the prequels. Oh, well, see, here's the thing. I was never a Star yeah. Wars fan. I've... And so when like the prequels came out, I like had no sense that I was supposed to hate these. And so I was mm. like, yeah, this is, I mean, for a franchise I have no interest in, like, this is mm. cool. Jar Jar Binks is really cute. I'll have a beach <laughs> towel with Jar Jar on it. Like, you know, so I had no issues with it because i didn't know that it was like you know supposed to be an affront to the canon of star wars well that's the thing star wars always was made for yep. kids it always has been made for kids and that's what it should be and i know people probably take offense to that <laughs> <laughs> i know the internet but it it, it, it is it is that case of look at the end of the day I and mean, that's really all they're meant to do and you know what phantom menace gets a really bad rap actually it's a good it's a good film it's just not a great star wars film in my opinion but it's a decent enough film the script's all over fine whatever but i've seen worse films i've seen worse <laughs> yeah, films. yeah i've seen worse films on that we can agree yeah uh, also that rogue one is the best so yeah. of all of them fantastic rogue one <laughs> That's kind of what we're working through at the moment. So there's a ton on the list to kind of go through. And there will be some horror films. So we did watch the original Evil Dead. Uh, oh. Dead and uh, she enjoyed it. She enjoyed okay. it. So now we're going to watch Evil Dead 2. And I have to explain, obviously, that it is hey. a sequel remake thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what you're Side watching bridge. is a remake. <laughs> That's awesome. So she likes the, the horror stuff, too, then. 
she doesn't mind it. She's not keen on, and I'm I'm the same. You know, like the the stuff like torture porn, that that type. Oh of, yeah. You know, mm. Saw series and stuff like that. Crap. Not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan at all. Uh, and finally, one more thing because I won't take up a little bit more is I've got a really, really, really guilty pleasure for a lot of what I call MTV horror. Oh yeah, I you do, don't that. you? I don't know if anybody I else this. calls yeah, I yeah. about you, yeah. Films that were made at roughly, I think, early 2000s, I like to call MTV horror because there was that. They're all music videos. They're all glamorized. Yeah. You look at Final Destination, sure. House on Haunted Hill. They've got the Hollow Man. All those type of films have got this yeah. almost new flashy type of music video editing and cut thing with them. And that's really, really, I like that. And House yeah. on Haunted mm. Hill, again, underrated film. I think it's great. I've seen that many, many times. That's one of those ones that like, if it's on something, I'm like, yeah, I'll sit and I'll watch this. Like I totally, I've never, this may be a thing people call it, this MTV thing, but it's a perfect description if it's not. And <laughs> I'm totally yeah. into that <laughs> as well, you know? I mean, um, that's the I... formative years of when I started watching this i grew up on like my mom watching horror and stuff like that but really when it became my own that's when we're talking about i also think dan you might just have given us our topic for next month's watch along there you go which mtv mm. horror do you want to mm. watch mm, 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 mm. is it final destination bad. 2 mm, i love final destination uh, I've got a big soft spot for Hollow Man. It's 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 everything that Lee Kuan El's <laughs> uh, Invisible Man is not. You know what I mean? They are very very different takes, different <laughs> riffs on a subject. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> well, sweet. Shall we uh, uh, move on then? Do you think, Mark? Yes, 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 yes. So to 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 business. Um, look, peek behind the Joe Ag curtain here, right? Um, quite late on this week. Corey and I realized that we had nothing for this week's episode, right? Absolutely fuck all. We had nothing planned, nothing lined up. Uh, and I I was, you know, even on the brink of suggesting what I think probably would have been fucking podcast suicide to just turn up and just chat about shit and riff for an hour, right? <laughs> um, Which, to be fair, it, has happened with several of our episodes where we intended to talk about has, something and yeah. we just never got there. Yep. Uh, yeah, that is true. That is true. That is true. But, you know, planning to not plan, I think, yeah. would have been foolhardy, um, which isn't a word I use often, foolhardy. <laughs> but I uh, think you should. Maybe I will. I'll, I'll, I'll use it two more times in this episode, I guarantee you. Um, Corrigan came with the idea of, and this is one we're absolutely going to come back to, and when we're absolutely mm -hmm. going to talk about disasters, natural disasters. Those fucking times when Gaia decides that she's had a fuckful <laughs> and decides to wipe a couple of, of us off the face of the planet, be it with tsunami or be it with volcano or earthquake or whatever. And it's a cracking, is that a pun on earthquake? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a oh, wonderful God. topic because there have been some absolutely fucking incredible acts of nature. There's nothing more, you know, there's nothing that puts man in his place better than a good old natural disaster to give you that fucking wake-up call um and on top of that great movies have been made about them indeed so uh, we will definitely some, return to that some dogs there's and some terrible topics. disaster movies there's another we've got we've got fodder for months to come for joag watch along um <laughs> yes i i i counteracted with the lad who got stuck in the sewers canal uh <laughs> <laughs> that led me down the path of, of, I don't know, I find 
the angle of man-made catastrophe, deeply mm. fascinating. Because uh, for all of our hubris at, you know, what we've built and what we can create and the systems that we've put in place and what we've developed, you know, and uh, man's fucking dominion, mastery over all we survey. When man, when human error uh, comes into play, man has at least, I think, as big a capacity as some natural disasters to kill his own kind and to cause absolute fucking mayhem and death in people's lives. Uh, by accident. You know, by accident, you've got it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of, I'd like to explore today some examples of times when human error or even kind of systemic error collapses in systems, collapses in order and protocol and, and you know, and, and cause and effect kicks in and systems fail and people suffer as a result. Uh, again, you know, it, it, for me, it, when these things happen and they do, they happen a lot. We're going to talk about some, some huge examples of when they do. The repercussions echo not just in the lives of those affected, but culturally and socially in the countries where they take place. And it's always, again, fascinating to see how, what happens afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. are, are those culpable forward do people fess up do people go down for it do, or do people close ranks do people protect their own is there you know uh, for me the aftermath of disaster is often as grimly fascinating as the event itself how do you cope with I, i've fucked up right in the past right. not on a massive kind of life-ending scale but the, the the term is the oh no second isn't it that fucking moment when you realize oh shit i fucked up right when that second when those poor decisions made often as a result of adrenaline often in the result of of you know things going wrong around you the wrong decision just often one fucking wrong decision uh can have appalling and long-lasting effects on a lot of people's lives yeah so to that end um i'd i'd kind of like to explore and and i'm not going to go into uh, we aren't going to go into exacting depth on this topic right because the, the subject that we're that, that we're going to be talking about here has been covered very 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 well uh in in documentary form in news in uh, it's it's been referred to in fiction in song uh talk about i want to talk about hillsborough right i want to talk about the hillsborough disaster which was uh and to be clear just as to this has not been covered anywhere here oh so you this is a you know talk to me like i'm five kind of thing because this is not in our i've never heard of this i i mean i looked into it a little earlier just for background but this is uh -huh. not in our consciousness at all in america this so, is fascinating so, you know start this is absolutely as much in, as possible in many ways this is almost i guess the flip side of our conversation about guns right you know yeah. the, the 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 complete kind of alien idea to me that i could fucking walk to asda and buy a gun um right uh, and it does shock me that that isn't big enough a word for it right yeah yeah um and I, I i at no point do i want to make any fucking light 
of place in April 1989 at this football stadium in Sheffield, Hillsborough Stadium. Uh, because to this day, legal, social, cultural, and familial effects of that catastrophe, that calamity, are still very much in play in Britain. To that end, I mean, in terms of context, right, as, as you know, as anyone who knows me will attest, I'm by no means a, a sports fan, right? I'm not a football fan. I'm not. Um, but you cannot fail to be aware of the fucking seismic rip this event had through the fabric of British sport, of British sporting culture, you know? Um, and to this end, this is why I'm so very grateful uh, Dan, that you've agreed to join us on Jack of All Graves this week to, to, to kind of help me talk about this event, to help me explore this event a little bit, um, because you've got a, a personal connection with, with the event that we're going to be discussing, yes? Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I'll talk about it now. And I think this is one of those things as well where it's one of those things where people think it's almost a taboo to talk about, and for some people it will yeah. be. Um, certainly some people, certainly uh, some families who got affected don't want to relive the horrors um don't want to yeah. talk about it um but my brother was one of the 96 victims of the hillsborough disaster uh mm-hmm. david william burl and um yeah he was only 22 uh, in this uh, in this you know terrible disaster and i was very young i mean i was what five well four going on five okay. when when it happened so very very young when it impacted me 1989 i was born 1984 so um mm-hmm. yeah it's had significant lasting impact to our family that it's just yeah it's 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 a conversation that we i certainly am one of those i'm <laughs> for the lack of a better word i'm okay talking about actually what i'll say is that i'm okay, okay. talking okay. about it okay. yeah okay okay Okay, um, terrific. Because I mean, the so let's context. So, tell and either one of you can take this. Um, but what happened? So, in uh, April nineteen eighty nine, it is a, uh, a a a failure of management, is what I'm going to go ahead and call it. Led to colossal overcrowding at a, a football game. Uh, a crush occurred. Uh, leading to death by kind of asphyxiation of many, many, many people, death by crushing injuries, asphyxiation of many people. Um, I believe it was 95 actually died on the day. I think I'm right in saying Dan, and then one some time later uh, from yeah, their injuries, three years, leading to the total of 96. Yes, there we go. Um, and not only, you know, not only was of those involved on that day subject to obfuscation subject to uh you know as you'd expect many 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 different accounts of what actually went on that day there was also then in subsequent years uh it took a long 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 time for a clear picture of 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 what actually went on that day and who was at fault dan talk us through events of that day if you'd be so kind give us a give us a a, a a picture from your perspective of how that day went yeah so i think there's something 
kind of set some context around this in British football in general, uh, and this might help some the American yeah, audience. Please. Now, um, yeah. with the we don't know anything mm, about this. Yeah, well, uh, or any audience around the world, of course, not just America, but wherever you're listening. Um, mm. I think again, I don't know how big a soccer I should say in America actually is. I know it's getting there, but you know, it's never been. Yeah, it's getting bigger, but no. certainly not to no. the degree of the culture that it is for you guys uh, and certainly around the west world i think the world cup is still one of the biggest watched sporting events of all time um so with british culture when it comes to football if you look back in the 80s and everything it has uh, hooliganism attached to it um mm. you know really mm. big hooliganism and that's unfortunately always paint the stereotypical view well all fans are hooligans and they're not it's always it always is a case of this there's always a few bad bunch that make up a fan when base when you say like hooligans what kind of like what does that entail so like what 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 is that culture in fact the better word i can describe for well hooliganism is very much a thing but uh, football is a very tribalistic sport uh in i, yeah, I don't know if that's yeah. the same in america um, when it comes to, you know, whether you've got uh, Lakers fans and then you've got Wizards fans and, you know, there's such sure, animosity sure, between yeah. them. I don't know if that is a thing in America. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's certainly, I mean, Dodgers fandom, you see a lot of this kinds of stuff and people get like Giants fans getting ganked in the parking lot and whatnot. So, well, yeah, I think we we have that. That 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 kind of is a lot of it. And I mean, you, you there's, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the film now. It's gone completely out of my head, but there is a... I think it's called The Football Factory. I think that's the film. Uh, don't quote me on it. But there is a film about um, West Ham fans and stuff like that where hooliganism is rife. And uh, I think it's got Charlie Hunnaman in from um, Sons of Anarchy. And, and um, I think it's actually yeah, it's got Elijah Wood in as well. So it's it's hooliganism's always been a thing. And in the Green 80s, Street. You're talking about Green, Green Street, Street hooligans. Green, Green, yeah, yes, Green, Green Street, Street the fa- Football Factory. Um, so anyway, back in the <laughs> 80s, certainly there was this big hooliganism yeah. thing attached to football fans. So... Fans were heavily, heavily segregated, um, so there were no attacks mm-hmm. or anything between uh, rival fans and everything. Um, and British football in general has always had this tribalism effect to it. It's, it's weird. Football is one of the biggest things that can bring people together while also simultaneously driving people apart, I think, in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The World Cup, for example, we called it the Summer of Love when England did really, really well in the World Cup. Uh, but equally then, Liverpool and Manchester United fans will get together and yell abuse each other. Again, it's few sure. rather than the... I, I, certainly more now, it's the few rather than the the, the majority, I still think. Um, mm-hmm. But um, do you want me to kind of talk to you about the timelines of the events, what happened on the day? Does that give enough, enough context for you guys? And Yeah, absolutely. Around... Briefly, right? In yes. terms of in terms of the kind of violence that we're talking about, in, in uh, we're talking large-scale organised oh, yeah, violence. Yeah. We are talking... We're talking firms of people, crews of people stabbing the fuck out of each other, balls, oh petrol bombs, uh, you know, petrol fighting bombs? in the streets. Jesus. In, in, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, glass okay, projectiles. We don't have that here. That's, no. yeah, that's different. It gets violent. Um, it get. Yeah, I'm glad we don't have guns because it could get even more violent, uh, but especially back in yeah, the day. Yeah, uh, but. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it is a it was certainly back then more probably prevalent than it is now. It still exists, but certainly not to the degree. I think now, unfortunately, a lot of the time it's more racism takes a larger part, which is mm. which I mean mm, we've true. seen it in a lot of sports as well. But um, yeah, so 
so with this, this was an FA Cup final match. This is one of the domestic cups that we've got in the UK. It's probably the largest. It's the longest, um, uh, the oldest, I should say, uh, trophy in the UK to win uh, the FA Cup. And uh, we had the semi-final playing, and it was Liverpool, um, Liverpool FC versus Nottingham Forest, and that was going to take place at uh, Sheffield Wednesday's Hillsborough Ground. So. The match was hugely sold out. Uh, it was just completely sold out. So there were about 53,000 fans from both sides. Wow. So, yeah, a lot of uh, fans going to this game. And then they, they would head to Hillsborough for the 3 o'clock kickoff. Now, uh, despite being... Because Liverpool's a massive club. In the 70s and 80s, it, it, it dominated UK football. That completely stopped in the 90s when Manchester United kind of took over a lot of it and everything like that. But Liverpool back then were the largest football club in the uk um so obviously liverpool supporters were actually allocated the smaller end of the stadium which is known as leppings lane Mm. and that route where the stadium is wouldn't bring them into contact with the forest fans that would arrive from the south so that's why we were given that area well so they were like really like you don't even come into the same area to enter this stadium like they are keeping everyone completely separated from one another absolutely now there's been some criticism to the sheffield ground which in the past has been known for potential disasters in fact the leppings lane right kai let me just yes chip in on this because i was amazed in reading about this uh today that that venue a few years previously had a crush incident occurred in, in 1981. Yeah. Um, oh, geez. In which, yeah, 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 that very same venue, uh, an incident in 1981 with 38 people were injured, got broken arms, broken ribs. And then again in 1987, two years before the, the Hillsborough calamity, uh, serious overcrowding was, was spotted in two further matches in 1987. So that ground, massively problematic seemingly in the run-up to this this this, this it's a ticking like it time something... bomb something yes, terrible yes, was yes, going yes, yeah. to happen yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 well the leppings lane end uh didn't actually hold um a valid safety certificate it hadn't been updated since 1979 shit so right. and oh, wow. on top of that there was um so they started arriving at leppings lane roughly i think it was about midday um and the entrance had like a limited number of turnstiles because it was a smaller end so Seven of these t- turntable uh, turntables were allocated to ten thousand fans with tickets. So that's just seven. And if you've ever mm-hmm. seen turnstiles in, I don't know if they're similar. Where if anyone's seen, they're narrow. They are not great for getting large yeah. mm-hmm. uh, numbers of fans through. Uh, so anyway, once through the turnstiles, supporters would have seen a wide tunnel leading down to the terrace, which is signposted standing. Now, mm-hmm. what's common practice in those grounds in those at that time was the terrace where you'd walk into was divided into pens by high fences. So in essence, oh, you were God. penned in when you went in. And this, mm. this corralled, like yeah, it corralled fans and then separated them from the pitch. And a lot of football stands at this time were freestanding. So they, they were standing stadiums, you know. Uh, mm. You see football on TV now, everyone sat down. Right. And that's one of the ramifications, actually, of Hillsborough disaster, which we'll get to a little bit later. Mm. But um, basically, there was the tunnel led directly into two pens behind the goal pens three and Mm. pens four access to the other pens was poorly marked and the sign for example the sign for the refreshments was actually bigger than the signs pointing to which pens you should be going into right okay okay um yeah 
there was no system on the day to ensure that the fans were evenly distributed across the pens and there was no way of actually counting how many were in each pen. Mm. So uh, basically the match commander at this time was Chief um, Chief Superintendent David Duckerfield. And he was new in his post and had a limited experience of... What's a what's a match matches. commander? So a match commander, if uh, I'm not... Uh, basically, he was in charge of the police force that day. So there's okay. always police regulations at football grounds. It has to be because there's so many fans coming in and everything like that. Mm. There's, so he was managing right. the police force at that time uh, for gotcha. going in. Uh, and uh, like I said, he was new in his post and he had really limited uh, experience of policing football matches. Now, what police expected supporters to find their own level by spreading out across the pens and search for space. But this was difficult to do because movement between the pens was by two narrow gates at the rear. Mm. So what happened is by quarter past, so the match was due to kick off at three. At quarter past two, a crowd had started to build outside Lepping Lane's turnstiles. And that swelled rapidly over the next quarter of the hour and progress through those seven turnstiles was incredibly slow. So by mm. half two, oh, there was just 4,300 people had entered. So there were 5,700 ticketed fans set to enter the ground half an hour before kickoff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so, so everybody trying to rush in to get there in that short period of time to these tiny turnstiles. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, obviously there was like a, a carnival atmosphere there. It was boisterous, but jovial. Mm-hmm. And as it, as it, um, as that started to build and build and build, trying to get through these turnstiles, there was an urgent request, an urgent request in essence, to relieve this pressure. So, uh, David Duckenfield gave the order to open an exit gate that caused 2000 Liverpool fans to enter via the tunnel onto already packed terraces. Right. Mm. And that then caused a severe crush in the central pens. Uh, and th- that that's when the disaster started to unfold then. Um, mm. Then this is where kind of everything started to really happen. So once those people were obviously forced into those, well, started to push through into those pens, um, those, those severe crushing started in essence. Fans began climbing over the sides, trying to... Joint, you know, so they're climbing over the fences. As I said, they were penned off in essence. You go in and you were right. penned in, but mm. the pen next to it was a little bit spaced out, so they would try and climb over the fences to get into these pens. And the pens' official combined capacity was 2,200. So mm. all of these extra fans trying to get into there um, obviously caused a huge crush. And like I said, that, that, that hadn't been updated since 1979 so at 1459 the game kicked off and the fans in the two central pens behind the goalposts were pressed up against fences and crash barriers this is basically like so people are at like the back of this trying to get in and they're just pushing forward not realizing there's a whole bunch of people at the front that they are now crushing against these pens and against each other and all of that stuff. absolutely and one of the barriers uh in pen three gave way which uh causing caused people to fall on top of each other um those who survived remember telling people that they saw people lose consciousness in front of their eyes supporters continued to climb a perimeter fences to escape while others were dragged to the safety of upper tiers um and then at f- f- uh, six minutes past three 
um, Superintendent Roger Greenwood ran onto the pitch and told the referee to stop the game. And then what happened was, yeah, it, it just um, kind of escalated from there. And as the disaster unfolded, Duckenfield told key people that the gate was forced by Liverpool fans. Mm-hmm. Um, the claim was reinforced in briefings to media sources. Right. And that was a lie. Yeah, yeah. I listened to part of a podcast that was talking about this earlier and you know there was a a news report from I guess you know sort of like the on like the commentator um who was talking about this I guess it was someone from the BBC and he was saying he's like I'm hearing like reports that like the BBC is actually saying this was fans they'd forced it yada yada Mm, and he's like I'd Mm. just like for people to know from here and I have talked to the police in this stadium uh Mm this was opened by police. This was not fans who did this. And he kept on sort of reiterating over and over again, like this wasn't fans. We thought it looked like it It looked like a bunch of fans rushed the field or rushed the pitch, but that's not exactly that. Yeah. Because police thought it was stopping people from trying to exit because they thought it was a pitch invasion. Plus uh, four minutes past three, Peter Beardsley who's one of Liverpool players hit the crossbar, which caused excitement and that extra, almost surge from people because Jesus. you know the, the excitement of someone almost scoring so right. yeah that that caused um further crushing um and then basically liverpool's goalkeeper at the time bruce grobler reported fran- fans from behind him uh ask uh, pleading to him for help mm-hmm. uh, as the situation worsened. and mm. um yeah so they just realised that the situation was getting worse. He stopped the match at um, well, three oh five thirty, I think it was. And as the fans climbed the effort, a small gate had been forced open. Some of the fans started escaping through that route. Others continued to climb over the fencing. Other fans, as I said, were pulled to safety, and it broke more cr- uh, crush barriers. Holes in the perimeter fencing were made to try and get people out. Jesus and Christ. you know there were people overspilled onto the pitch where loads of uh injured traumatized fans had been congregating all mm. obviously the football teams were taken off the pitch into their dressing rooms and there'll be a 30 minute postponement they were told uh right. those still trapped in the pens were packed so tightly that many of the victims died of compressive asphyxia while standing oh my god, oh my god. meanwhile on the pitch um police stewards members of saint john ambulance service were massively overwhelmed many actual fans assisted the injured several took down um you know so you see the advertising hoardings that go around the stadium yeah. most of them pulled them down to start using them as uh, stretchers wow. um several attempted cpr on individuals and th- what was then briefed by chief superintendent john nesbitt of south yorkshire police he briefed um i think it was michael shearsby who was a conservative mp that leaving the rescue to the fans was a deliberate a deliberate strategy yeah 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 I've read it. and is quoted as saying we what? let the, we let the fans help so they would not take their frustration on the police so <laughs> it's here uh, so not only right there and thanks thanks very much indeed for for kind of laying that out for us Dan. but right there right the failure of that system causing untold fucking agony and one can only you know one can never fucking remotely 
contextualize for yourself the horror of that kind of end. It's it's it 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 beggars belief. But in the aftermath, that's when I talked earlier about you know, is culpability assigned in in instances like these? Do people, you know, fucking stand up and 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 admit what went wrong? What followed? It feels to me as though it felt as though a, a deliberate attempt to shift the focus from the you know mismanagement by the police onto the fans themselves uh, uh the this we got to talk about it the sun newspaper four days after four days after that event four short fucking days after that event uh ran a front page story flat out blaming the fans call it you know implicating the fans in pickpocketing uh victims uh, claiming that fans were, you know, pissing on cops from the top, from the terraces, Gosh. interfering with 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 ambulance staff, trying to revive people, um, and that, my God, the horror and anger, justifiably, from the communities that those lies affected, still echoes to this day. I mean, you know, you do not mention the fucking Sun newspaper to anyone from Liverpool. Right. Yeah. Um, so news vendors outlets refuse to carry it in 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 the area. Is that right, Dan? Um, yeah, yeah. The Sun. Uh, it was just a massive front page. It said the truth on it, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. that was it. It's just a huge thing that just said the truth. As you said, some fans who urinate, pickpocketed the victims, urinating on cops, beat up uh, a police officer, giving the kiss of life. These are all on this. And the Sun was one. Of, is it's still to this day still one of those. Uh, massively purchased newspapers, but in the city of Liverpool, a lot of news agents don't stock it yeah. because of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm curious, so what was he... it like? Like, well, do you have any recollection of? I mean, you were so young. Um, do you? What do you remember from? So yeah, that well, day I, and that experience. It, it's a difficult one because, like I say, I was young, but I, I do have vivid images of, um going to hillsborough with my mom so we were living in oman at the time my dad worked abroad uh during that time and i'm assuming like was your brother like in university at that time like no. he, he would be out of the house or um he, he was he was a massive liverpool fan he'd moved to liverpool he'd uh um, okay. he just passed his uh he was a security officer and he just passed his hg hgv driving test mm-hmm. uh, so he's going to drive lorries for a living that's what he wanted to do um and he was yeah, he he was just a massive Liverpool fan. He loved Liverpool. He just yeah. would go. Didn't matter if you told him no, he would go to <laughs> a football <laughs> match. He was going. Yeah. And I and like I said, I mean, I think the best way I can kind of describe David, if you don't mind me doing so, is please read do, out. Do. Um, so I'm skipping forward in the timelines a little bit to where we're holding the Hillsborough inquest panel. So this mm-hmm. was. For 2012, this was set up. So this disaster happened in 1989. Wow. And 2012 Jeez. is when the you. first yeah. proper Hillsborough independent panel took place, which, I mean, there's still court cases ongoing now. So this is why mm. with this type of stuff, um, you'll notice me kind of glancing. I'm trying to keep it as factually as possible because yeah. anything we say could have impacts. Right. I know this is a podcast with a, you know, uh, a modest no, you audience. Be but yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's kind of why, why I try and keep it factual. But uh, my mom had to 
as part of everybody had to in essence give a character statement about the individual because Mm. for years after liverpool fans were uh, pointed out as to be uh always um always the victims like because Mm -hmm. we fought so long to get the truth the truth our truth out yeah we've always been painted as some form of like everyone must feel sorry for us and it's not the case Mm -hmm. and there's always been this i remember my brother i remember my brother picking me up when i was a little baby bought me uh this game which i cherished which was crossbows and catapults i remember Mm -hmm. i remember him vividly and I'll read That's my mom's. Awesome. I'll read my mom's character statement. I think she can do a, probably a better yeah, job than me. Yeah, please do. So, uh, David William Burtle was born on the sixth of May, nineteen sixty-six. I decided to have a home birth, so David was born at my parents' home in West Bromwich. Six months later, we bought a house in Cannock, Staffordshire. When David was eight months old, he had gastritis and almost died. The only way he could get any sleep was warm against my chest. It was a very worrying time, but he recovered and began to walk shortly after. And once he could run, there was always a football attached to his foot. Three years later, uh, David's brother Jonathan was born. They were very different in temperament. David was quiet, Jonathan boisterous. They squabbled most of the time as brothers do. David was a happy little boy, never walked, always ran everywhere. Uh, Trevor Francis was his hero at that time. He joined the Cubs and went away to camp with them. When he got home, he slept the whole day. He was so exhausted. He spent lots of weekends with his grandma and granddad, whom he loved very much, and they adored him. It broke their hearts when he was killed. When David was seven and Jonathan four years old, their father remarried and moved to Birmingham. He would come and take them swimming. We remained at the family home until three years later when I met and married my husband. We then moved to a village in Staffordshire and David attended Endon High School and that was when we decided to have David and Jonathan's name changed to Bertle with their father's agreement. Divorce wasn't so commonplace in the 70s so it made life easier to have the same name. David developed a love of music as he grew up. The Jam and Echo and the Bunnymen featured heavily. He also de- uh, developed a liking for opera later, which drove my mom absolutely up the up the wall. You know, one minute she's listening to The Clash. I've got all his vinyl downstairs still. And um, she said, yeah, it was great on Sundays at 7 a.m. when he was blasting out Beethoven. But oh uh, he enjoyed going to music festivals, especially Glastonbury. When he got home, I had to hose his clothes down before they could go in the washing machine. <laughs> Three weeks before David's 13th birthday, and exactly 10 years before he was killed, I had a baby, Adam. Sadly, Adam was born with spina bifida and only lived 12 days. Five years later, she had me, and David was mm-hmm. a wonderful big brother. Some 18-year-olds would have been embarrassed, but not David. He loved Daniel a great deal. Once he took him on a double-decker bus and sat upstairs in the front, knowing that a bridge was coming, Daniel thought he was going to come through the window, which David found very funny. Daniel was only four when David was killed. He had missed out by not having David in his life. Daniel is very much like him in many ways. When David was 16, my husband was made redundant and went to work in Oman. David spent holidays there, enjoyed different cultures. He would lie by the pool with a towel over his face, earphones plugged in so you can all see a towel was bobbing up and down. He enjoyed calling a waiter over for food. When my husband had been there a year, I joined him, spending my time between Oman and the UK. David's grandparents stayed at home, part-time, not an ideal situation, but that's how it was. Um, David wasn't very academic and left school not really knowing what he wanted to do. He became a massive fan of Liverpool Football Club. Sadly, that decision was to cost him his life. He moved to Liverpool for a time because he said he loved the people and the place. David liked to look smart. His hair, t- his hair turned curly when he was 14, so he was constantly trying to straighten it. He grew a small beard, uh, beard which really suited him. 
David wasn't perfect, none of us are, but he was just getting his life together. He just gained his HGV license and started a new job. His granddad had given him his car and he loved the freedom it gave him. At Hillsborough, someone broke into that car and stole his car radio. He'd left his scarf on the car, me. so that person knew he was a Liverpool fan and the reason why his car was still there. On the 15th of April 1989, I was an O-man. At 3.10 UK time, 6.10 Omani time, I tried to get football on the World Service. Something I'd never done before, not being a football fan. Being such an odd thing for me to do, my husband was more than a little surprised. I just had a strange feeling, so I rang my dad. He asked me if Brian was with me, which made me realise it was something terribly wrong. My dad had convinced himself that David would be helping, but I knew that David would have moved heaven and earth to call me, just as he'd done when he was caught up in the Heisel disaster. Uh, my poor dad finally called me at 4.40am, Omani time with the devastating news at three weeks short of his 23rd birthday. Our son, his grandson, was gone forever. No father should ever have to give his daughter that news. Within two hours, we were sat at Sea Airport waiting for the plane uh, home. A bewildered little boy sat beside us. I had to listen to two expats reading a local paper and saying, oh, the police say it was hooligans, as if that was okay then. It was their own fault. I spent the whole flight trying to find a way of explaining all this to Daniel. In the end, I told him um, David wouldn't be at Grandma's because he'd gone to live in the clouds with the Care Bears. I was a big Care Bears fan. <laughs> when we finally reached my parents' home, Jonathan was like a statue. He'd gone freezing cold. He'd gone to look for David when he'd heard the news. He finally met up with his father who had found David. I cannot imagine what it must have been like for them. Mm. None of us ever will be the same again. We've all changed and not for the better, I'm afraid. David's ashes are in the Goldmouth at Anfield, my ex-husband's choice of resting place. I go to Anfield once a year on David's birthday. David's father, until his illness, was very involved with the Hillsborough movement. Different people cope and grieve in different ways, which doesn't mean that one way is better than the other. David was loved deeply by all his family. He's missed every single day of us. We were robbed of a son, a brother, a grandson, and now an uncle. David did not get the chance to have a family, but we know he would have been a wonderful father. I find not being able to say his name or write it in a birthday card so sad. I've been spared the worst of what happened that day. I am grateful for that, but I'm reminded that I was out of the country when David died. I've asked myself a million times if only I'd been at home, but I know David would have still gone to Hillsborough that day and when he was the happiest watching his beloved Liverpool. David was our first child, our first grandchild, and will always be special. Therefore, as a family, we are owed an explanation sooner rather than later to help why david died that day so that's a character statement my mom wow. had to write out about david and he's not a hooligan mm. <laughs> he's not a hooligan and no. the other 95 fans weren't hooligans either there was mm. significant reporting into what actually happened um i believe i have to try and get this right from facts and everything but when they started doing the inquiries there were a couple of inquiries so the first one was the taylor inquiry uh, so, so yeah. yes, Lord Justice Taylor report concludes that failure to close off the tunnel was a blunder of the first magnitude and match commander David Duckenfield failed, failed to take effective control. His final report recommends moving to an all-seater stadium, which led to ban on standing at football matches eventually imposed. Uh, but later down the lines, as we got into it and got into it, I don't know how much you want to go into it, Mark, but there was significant mm. investigation to actually what happened and... There were actually key witness statements that were changed by the police what? Uh, on this um, because as th th what happened was the, there was a Hillsborough Justice um, campaigning and Williams, um, Margaret Aspinall, two uh, mothers of people who were caught up in the, in the uh, tragedy and they fought for years for justice and that's why mm -hmm. it's one of the biggest things every, every anniversary justice for the 96 because 
we have always, always believed that um, that it's just not true what people were saying about everything. Yeah, right. So yeah. You talk about closing ranks, okay, and again being as absolutely careful as fucking possible to stay within the realms of established fact. Um, an article from The Guardian uh, from 2011 uh, states quite clearly that the source for that front page of The Sun was uh, what came from within the police. Of course it did. So the, the source, uh, you know, blaming everything on, on mm-hmm. the fans came from within the police. Dan mentions there the, uh, the Taylor Report in 1989, which largely blamed the police. The Home Secretary at the time uh, from the government, a guy called Douglas Hurd, uh, pre-warned uh, the Prime Minister at the time, Margaret Thatcher, of the findings of that report, uh, you know, telling her that it was going to be quite scathing, excoriating, in fact, towards the police, but that, the, you know, the, the reporting practices were sound and that, quote, we welcome the broad thrust of the report. There is a handwritten note from the Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, at the time, in the margins of that report, saying, what do we mean welcoming the broad thrust of the report? The thrust is devastating criticism of the police. Is that really something we should be welcoming? Surely we should welcome the thoroughness of the report, as opposed to its findings. And, you know, uh, you talk about cultural echoes, yeah, cultural fallout. By 1999, right, by 10 years, within a decade of that of that calamity, uh three people three survivors were known to have killed themselves there are many stories of addiction of psychiatric care being required alcohols and collapsed marriages do you see what i'm talking about earlier on about the systemic fallout hmm. when fucking human error on a scale like that occurs yeah i mean 96 uh, people it's that's such an insane hmm. like it's hard to even process and the you know, just thinking about the imagery of what happened here is is truly yeah. horrifying and devastating and, you know, yeah. uh, really difficult. And Dan, you know, I really thank you for for sharing that, for sharing your Same, mom's man. statement. Same. And, um, yeah. you know, I guess I, my last question about it would be twofold in that, you know, what are, because, you know, we're talking about these devastating, lasting impacts that have happened for you slash your family, you know, what has, how has this shaped like who you are and, you know, life from that point forward. (laughs) And then on the other hand, like what has this, you mentioned like the standing uh, rule and whatnot changing, how has this impacted, you know, sport culture Mm. and things like that as Mm. well? Um, and the reason why people probably why, why you're laughing there, Dan, it's not funny. It, <laughs> it, 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 I laugh because it's a great question. Because, like I said, I was very young at the time, but yeah. when when I sit there and think back, how much David has, I've almost kind of tried to, the fact that I don't have him in my life. It's almost like mm. I've created my life around what it would have been like having him in my life. So mm-hmm. I'm a Liverpool fan huge mm-hmm. Liverpool yeah, yeah. fan I've got all his music all my favorite music is stuff like the jam the clash yeah. you know I'm a massive fan of all that type of music of that era Bob Dylan all of those vinyls I've still got I still play mixtapes I used to make as a kid what he did as well he had thousands of cassettes that he'd made and recorded and everything yeah. um yeah I, I see a lot of myself as my mom said she I, I go to Glastonbury I go to a lot of music festivals so for me, it's almost like uh, he has he's had a huge impact on my life by not being in it. 
Mm, um, yeah. So that's that's a positive that's come out of it in one aspect yeah. for me, because I love everything about that. Um, yeah. On the other aspect of it, I do see the impact it's had on my family. It's every single year. I mean, I, I, I can't I can't put myself in my mom's shoe because I just yeah. can't. Of mm. what that means, as she said, not being able to write his name in the birthday card, not being able to. She, it's it, it, I, she's she already lost Adam, so Adam was my other younger brother who died, as as she said, like really really young. But then mm-hmm. to have this happen as well, so to two of your children to go, it's it just fucking hell, man. Yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. and one the worst part is when you look through a lot of the reports that come out, the fact that a lot of that, I believe, forty one of the potential vic, forty one of the victims could potentially have still been alive depending on changes that were made into the st john's uh, not st john's ambulance but the the recovery element of it actually mm-hmm. if they'd given more cpr or given more aid 41 people actually could have survived right. and it's always yeah. knowing yeah you could have been one of those 41 yeah god that's <laughs> that's now i'm like tearing up <laughs> like that's such a horrible thing to to think about too just like just choices you know yeah, that's choices what mark was saying in the beginning of this it's about choices that were made um mm-hmm. you know that have such devastating uh results of that and that like you know what if that you can never really you know mm. know and you don't want to torment yourself over either but gosh yeah and and it uh, and to, to your other question as well which is a, another fantastic question because it has had ramifications i mean liverpool were also part of the heisel disaster and if you go into that that was where there was 39 um fans killed juventus fans killed uh by there was hooliganism involved in that and um, so liverpool fans had that stigma right yeah. so this yeah. almost fueled that further stigma now one of the biggest rivalries in football is Liverpool and Manchester United. There's always been this kind of divide between because of Liverpool's success across the 70s and 90s and then Manchester United's success across the 90s, 2000s. Um, it's just such an animosity because um, there are chants from Manchester United fans shouting murderers to oh. Liverpool fans. Um, always the victims gets chanted. Mm at um, football matches at Liverpool fans but then Liverpool fans will make some Liverpool fans again like I say this is always a case of it's a, it's a minority rather yeah. than a majority but some Liverpool fans will make airplane gestures which is in reference to the Busby Babes being killed um, which was pretty much most of the Manchester United team back here I can't remember the exact date it's gone out of my head now but it's it's that tribalism that takes Jeez. over from people and if you go i mean twitter's a cesspool anyway we know what twitter's <laughs> like but yeah. if you go onto any of the hashtags the amount of times when you I mean you can go onto lfc and see something you'll see the odd comment about uh, murderers or always the victims and stuff like that it's just constantly rife so my mom doesn't use social media and i'm internally thankful for that yeah because the mm. amount of comments she would see time and time again people just don't think because People just don't think, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, but it's not the... real to them. Yeah, no, it's not an and, abstraction. Yeah, and it, it it painted the picture which will forever be attached to Liverpool fans, even because I mean the the verdict about um, saying the verdict only basically they weren't clean until 2012. Mm-hmm. That's when the official report came up from the uh, Hillsborough Independent. 
uh, panel. They uh, in 2012, after sitting for two years, they published that report into the tragedy. It's highly critical of the emergency response by a number of organisations. Blame senior mm -hmm. officers for opening the exit gates without thinking about what what would happen, and they quashed the original in inquest verdict that had stood for more than 20 years. And like I said, 41 of those who died might have been saved. Um, so there was a big police inquiry, and do you know what I mean? 1989 to 2012 that's a long time really really long time for people to have to sort of sit with this and and you know kind of relive it in interestingly in i mean way. just you know as another little kind of uh bit of additional context that lets you know just how alive an issue this is this isn't by any means history this is something that is still felt keenly by those affected. A good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Andrew Bird, is a good friend of mine, he's a stand-up comedian, right? Um, and earlier on today, uh, he and his family, our kids are friends, and they were in our garden playing. Um, I mentioned to Andrew that we were talking about Hillsborough tonight on, on this podcast, and he was, oh, Jesus. And he, he held his head and shook his head and talked to me about a gig that he'd played, that he was doing stand-up at um, in, in the, the 2010s. And he was doing a bit where he was talking about reading something in a newspaper and he forgot where he was and said, oh, I was reading something in the sun and got it fucking ruined, booed off. You know what wow. I mean? Just absolutely shredded by the crowd. Um, it, it, yeah. Just the it's fucking raw. mention of that fucking rag um, just brings it back, you know? Yeah, that's wild. Oh, that's just, it's horrifying. It's a lot to sit with. And again, I appreciate you, you know, telling us about this and yeah dan i know. cannot thank you enough for that man. that's thank all you. right and like i said i'm never and i know some people who might listen might actually go do you ever not find it weird talking about it? it's a story that needs to be told constantly to reinforce yeah. the messaging behind the fact yes. that look yes yes there yes. is more to this story than what you may believe having read stuff in other articles i mean if we talk about now being the the, the era of fake news, it, mm, mm -hmm. it's always been around. Yeah, absolutely. Great were people? I mean, were point. people compensated for this? Like, has anything come out of this for the the families of the victims and whatnot, or is it still just? It, it's here. And there. I'll be honest. It's something I've never really been interested in. Truth be told, doesn't matter how much you pay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Yeah, uh, and uh, like I say that. I think there has been certainly to some of the families and everything like that. And I know my mom was never, she just, okay, it's not going to bring him back. Yeah. So, she wasn't pursuing it. Just no, she, absolutely not. It's just never been on our minds. It's we wanted, we wanted just the simple fact that this young lad who had his life stolen mm. from him by other people's yeah. decisions wasn't a football hooligan. Yeah. It's mm. ultimately, yeah. The, restoration of of the legacy of these people and you know being able to say this wasn't their fault yeah. that's more important to have some sense yeah. of culpability accountability mm. and a sense that they've been slandered all this time let's fix that and is is that maybe is that maybe a good place to kind of bring it around to to what the, the conversation that, that you and i had the other day cory when we when we put natural calamity against man-made when when there's a fucking human at fault that it does that give you something maybe to focus your fucking anger on you can't stay angry at a, at a fucking act of nature right you know the yeah. two 
It's the plot the of two, Twister. It, this, yeah, ex- ex- exactly. exactly. <laughs> Can't be mad at it forever. At least you knew who the bad guys mm. were, and now they were the ones driving the black vans around. <laughs> yeah, it was Wesley Those from evil weather reporters. Princess Bride. Yeah. <laughs> who knew? That was so vicious. Have I ever dropped my Twister fact on the cast yet? Have I ever? I think have you ever... have. Yeah. Wait. Okay. That it was the first DVD. Yes, it was the first, first ever motion DVD. picture commercially available on DVD. <laughs> That's Twister. There you go. Yes, I do believe that has made the podcast before. <laughs> or you've only It'll... said it to me, and my apologies to everyone for. That fact will be along in a few episodes' time again. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> We don't remember anything that we say, so yep. it'll come back around again. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the I, first DVD I bought as well, because I got my, pl- got my PlayStation 2 and two DVDs I got with it was Twister and Jurassic Park. Yeah, Wonderful. Great <laughs> um, choices. Mine was Fight Club, mate. I think I, I think we must have got the same deal from Curry's, maybe, but my <laughs> were two DVDs and one of them was definitely Fight Club. <laughs> I got my PlayStation 2 from Blockbusters. Oh, oh Blockbuster. <laughs> nice <laughs> i can smell it now mate i can smell it now oh my gosh we just talked about that on dead and lovely last week which i forgot to mention i was on dead and lovely last week you should go check it out uh people who are listening <laughs> but we talked about that the smell of blockbuster yes. <laughs> it has a smell, smell. i does. lived in I a like small town we didn't have blockbuster but uh you know everyone who did go to them that seems to be a thing the smell of blockbuster mm-hmm. i've maybe work. been three times i used to work in blockbuster <laughs> Did you really? Yes, I did. Got Aww. 10 free rentals a week. 10 a, a week? week? That seems generous. Free... And you could take the... Every Wednesday we got a delivery of next week's like new DVDs and games. Nice. So you got them early. So the amount of times I would play games early before the street release date was amazing. Oh Real my nice. gosh. That's a, Paul that's a great setup. <laughs> no don't though this is see okay. this is the weird thing that like blockbuster has now become the thing we're nostalgic for when it's like mm. that's the thing that closed all the mom and pop stores that's walmart yes, that's it, just because amazon killed them too doesn't mean we should you know look back kindly upon blockbuster blockbusters is a man-made disaster Hey, there's your link hey. bring it back <laughs> wow look at that full circle it well was done. didn't the, didn't they not invest in netflix or is that just a myth that exists out there something around oh. netflix and blockbuster i don't know i bet Not... that's in that movie that have you guys have either of you watched that yet the last blockbuster no i have not is that the one where isn't it america uh, i think i followed is it the one with the twitter account that's still active and or is that a parody oh it might be There's... see i haven't watched this documentary yet apparently it's it's pretty good and it's about like the last blockbuster that Ooh. exists or existed i don't know if it has closed as well but there's a documentary about it i think it's on hbo max or something of that nature which i know you guys don't have but i think they've put it out somewhere else um yeah and it's about the story of this one remaining blockbuster uh is it the one in oregon i think i think that's right yeah, yeah. i think it's in oregon that sounds about right i'll have to report back unless let's, <laughs> let's you know let's call a spade a spade here it is just nostalgia things you know don't get me wrong i enjoy standing under fluorescent light and leafing through director video fucking rip-offs of major studio releases Transmorphers, <laughs> for example you know um but yeah I, i'd rather sit on my fucking couch and hit okay a but a video a store like blockbuster was a little impersonal but like in my town we had two like 
indie video stores essentially you know there's video mond Mm -hmm. where my friend jenna and i rented biodome and three ninjas like every week (laughs) and then there was video droid uh which Mm -hmm. both of uh, my little sister and one of my older brothers worked at and it was like you went into these places and part of it was you know going in and getting suggestions from these super movie fans who worked there and like those pics and the weird stuff that you would never find otherwise but they had all this time to like pick out and tell you about and whatnot like that was one that was rad one for you here right is is this just a south wales thing or did this happen in, in your neck of the woods as well? I have vivid memories as a kid of the fucking video man driving around estates in his like Ford fucking estate and opening the boot and you'd have like a boot full of tapes you could rent off him, like Rocky Two on VHS and you could fucking pay the guy like two pound and rent it for the night. Doesn't and he'd be sound back like tomorrow a, to pick it up. It doesn't sound like a legit operation that happened. Right? It doesn't, does it? So <laughs> Not really. Shady. <laughs> now I describe it like that. Um, <laughs> No, the video oh video man and you'd go out and look in his boot and you'd have all of his fucking tapes is this a south wales thing like do other people in wales recognize this was a thing or is this like literally you had one guy in your neighborhood who did this yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna ask i'm gonna ask around ask around around and see see, because this this fucking happened if alan is listening by now if he hasn't turned off yet uh he will absolutely corroborate that the video man was a thing at least in uh deepest darkest line of gwent delightful i love that mm. it's, it's just, so sketchy and it's nostalgia it just shows how much nostalgia is because yeah. now we're talking about blockbusters and not the disasters but <laughs> i know mate i know it absolutely I know. is honestly every friday night my dad took me you rent your games you go home and play you get golden eye over the weekend mm. i constantly rent a golden eye <laughs> and the best thing yeah, was with classic. N- and with N64 games is uh, they saved onto the cart so you usually picked up where somebody else left off and skipped a few levels ahead brilliant oh, cool. oh. Very hey nice. that's kind of fun <laughs> the cheat code right there <laughs> uh, so I think we'll bring it home there what will. do you think folks I think um, so. yeah, and I can't, I, when I say sincere I mean it sincere thanks to Dan for sharing uh, and, and for you know Giving us genuine context into 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 Hillsborough. There, I mean, like you, you put it very well earlier on when you said, Dan, that conversations like this, I, you know, they 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 play a part in the cultural memory of events. Um, so for you know for 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 whatever that's worth, it's it's been a worthwhile conversation. No problem. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you for having me. Thank you so much. Yeah. Good. Anytime. You're welcome back to talk about things that aren't as sad. As dark. Yeah. <laughs> as dark. Unless you've got about... complaints on Twitter about me, then maybe not. <laughs> this is, you know, genuinely, that's always one of my worries if I'm on somebody else's podcast that I'm going to go on their social media and they're going to be like, do not get that bitch back again. She was the worst. <laughs> Your episode has the lowest figures of anything they've ever done. (laughs) Like, oh God, please don't tell me. Uh, But anyways, well, thank you everyone for listening and uh, taking in this little bit of cultural memory. I love, I love that actually as a, as an idea and contributing to sort of the archive of what exists Mm -hmm. about this particular topic that, like you said, is extremely 
important. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have stories of your own, feel free to uh, tell them to us or, um, you know, other man-made disasters you want to talk about. We'll probably revisit this and talk about some of the other ones that yes, yes, uh, yes. we've been thinking about. Big topic. Uh, but anyways, get in touch with us on social media, on Twitter at Jack of All Graves, Instagram, Jack of All Graves Pod, on our Facebook group. Stay in the know on uh, what our next watch alongs will be. And don't forget to drop us some stars on Apple mm. Podcasts so more people can check us out. Uh, anything else we have to add there, Mr. Lewis? I don't think so. It's been a while since I checked in on at Jack of all graves on Instagram, our fucking pervert namesake. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. How's so I'm he gonna doing? pay him a little. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna pay him a little visit later on. See how he's doing. Um, but no, thanks for listening, guys. As always, we love you very, very, very much. Yes. On an individual basis. Yeah. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> <laughs> Another classic weird Mark sign out. <laughs>